fill up. Nice. (laughs) Our first Bible reading tonight will be from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13 to 53, verse 12. That's on page 772 of the Pew Bibles. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made the intercession for the transgressors. Our next Bible reading comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15, and in my pew Bible, it can be found on page 1,234, or up there on the screen. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature 
not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Friends, uh, why don't we take about 20 seconds uh, out to welcome and greet each other. So feel free to move around and grab an outline as well. So if, if you use an outline, that will be helpful. All right, friends, uh, let's take a seat. We'll, we'll pray and then we'll have a look at this passage. We'll work through this passage quite carefully. Uh, it's quite a tough passage. Colossians has been quite, um, quite rich theologically, so uh, it's good that you're persevering and working through this passage with us. But let's pray to God. This is his word and we need his help. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you might open our eyes and minds to hear you speak to us. Uh, please, Lord, enlarge our minds that we might know of who Jesus really is and how wondrous and great he is. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, well, tonight there are perhaps, what, 60, 70 people here. How many of us here will make it to the end? How many of us here tonight will make it to the end? Now, what I mean by this is, how many of us who now claim to be a Christian, who now claim to be a follower of Jesus, who now claim to be a disciple of Jesus, will make it till the end? That when we're on our deathbed, when we breathe our last breath, we remain a believer. We remain a disciple of Jesus. We remain trusting in Jesus. I just wonder, 70 around 70 people here, how many of us will remain faithful to the end? What do you think? Any ideas on what that percentage might be? Well, I'll give you some. I'll give you some. Now, this is a survey that was done with those who claimed to be a Christian while they were teenagers. And statistics, statistics are not entirely accurate, but they give us uh, some information. Uh, It's a reflection of some truth. Well, according to this one statistic, only 40% will remain a Christian the day they die. 40% of those teenagers who claim to be a Christian, only 40% will remain a Christian. That means 60% would have fallen away, gone away, given up the faith, 
turned away from Jesus, according to some other stat, is actually only 30%. So 40% is actually quite generous. So that's saying 70% will turn away from Christ. 70% of those who claim to be a Christian while they were teenagers will turn away. But we'll be a bit more conservative. Some figures say about 50%. And so let's take 50%. In our youth group, we have about 40 youth. 50% means that the day they die, only 20, 20 of those will be a Christian. And only 20 of those will see in heaven. That's according to stats. They're not entirely true, but they are yet reflective of something, aren't they? Now, when you hear stats like that, I wonder what you're feeling. I wonder what you're thinking. It's astonishing, isn't it? That's an astounding number of people who will turn away from Jesus, up to 70%. So 70 people here, by the end, 70%. If 70% of us turn away, doesn't leave that many. So what's the problem then? Why is this the case? Why is it that anyone would turn away? Why would anyone turn away from the marvelous good news of Jesus Christ? Why would people do such a thing? Well, you see, there are many reasons for this, and and everyone would have their own reason. But perhaps as I grow up, as I have more responsibilities, as I have more freedom, as I get my license, as I get more interested in guys or girls, as I have more interests, perhaps Christianity then looks less relevant. Christianity looks less important. Or perhaps as I grow, grow older, I just find all this Christian business unsatisfying. I've been a Christian for how many years, but I just feel unmotivated, unsatisfied, not satisfied with what I believe. Perhaps that's why people turn away, fall away from Jesus. But that's not what we want, is it? We all want to live the full life. Life to the full, don't you? We all want the full life. And you see, this is what Paul was writing about. You see, when Paul was writing to this letter to the church in Colossae, they were being influenced. They were being persuaded into thinking that there's actually more to life, there's fuller life than what they already have in Jesus. They were being convinced that, you see, Jesus is good. You started with Jesus, but there's in fact more than Jesus. If you start doing things that we do, you experience fuller life. So it's good, but you're not there yet. And so Paul obviously was concerned. These people were being influenced this way, and Paul was concerned that not many of those will last to the end if they continue to hear these type of teaching. And so what does Paul do? Well, in this bit of the, the letter we'll look at, he does two things. He says two big things, and this is on your outline. The first thing he says is, this is what the full Christian life looks like. If you want full Christian life, life to the full, well, this is what it looks like. That's his first point. And it remains to be the same. It continues that way, even into your old age. You don't move on into, onto anything else. That was, that's his first point. And the second bit we'll look at is, he reminds them, why is it that you do have full life, life to the full in the first place? He reminds them of the wonder of what Christ has done and their relation to Christ. So that's the second point. So firstly, let's look at the first point. What does the full Christian life look like? What does it look like? I mean, we want 
to experience life to the full. Jesus promised us that you will have life to the full. What does that look like? Well, Paul, he reminds them. He reminds them that you don't know, remember the point you believed, the time when you first believed. You remember that great news of the gospel of Jesus, that wondrous message that this king, this son of God, came onto this earth to die for you, to give up his life to serve you, that you might have life. Remember that news? Remember that gospel? Well, Paul says, quite simply, continue in that. Live in that. The word here is actually walk in that. That's his message. If you want full life, continue in what you first heard. Don't move on to anything else. Forget those guys who are teaching you these deceptive philosophies. These things, don't listen to them. Continue in the gospel message you first heard. That is the full life. You won't get more than that. And so this is what we see in verse 6. If you have a look at with me, verse 6, so Paul says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. You see, that's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who recognizes that Jesus is not just the Savior. He's not just the one who saved me. But he's, in fact, my Lord. That is, he's my master. He's my king. You see, I submit to him. He tells me what to do. I don't tell him what to do. So a Christian is one who sees Jesus as Lord. And then Paul goes on to say, verse 6, continue to live in him. That is to walk in him. And so what does this mean? What does this look like? Walking in Christ. You see, this is the full Christian life, life to the full. What does it look like? Well, Paul now goes on to mention four things, and he uses some illustrations for this. Firstly, he says, to walk in Christ it is to be like a, a tree taking deep root in the ground, taking deep root in Christ. Grow strong roots in Christ because that's where you'll survive. That's where you'll live. Have you seen trees floating around and growing? We, we don't see that, do we? Because they were, you chop off a tree, they'll die. It, the, if the, tree, the roots of the trees are not in the ground, they won't survive. And so Paul is saying, you want to live the full life, stay connected with Christ. Build your roots deep into Christ. Be a bit like this tree. I've, uh, I found this picture. Now, in 2011, when the tsunami hit Japan, this area was covered, uh, before the tsunami hit, this area was covered by 70,000 pine trees. All of them was wiped out, except this one, in this image anyway. Except this one. Ten-meter waves wiped them all out, except this one. Be like this tree. Deep roots into the ground, surviving deep, um, surviving because of Jesus. So that's the first thing Paul says. Next he says, now that you've taken deep roots in Christ, now that you've got that foundation, build a strong house on him. Build on him. Now, I've got another picture here from that same tsunami. Destroyed all the buildings around it. Be like this building. Now, if you look closely, this building is a bit damaged, but you get the idea. Build a strong building that stands. So Paul's saying, take deep root in Christ. Stay with him. He's the source of life. You won't find life outside him. And build on him. Build your life on Christ, not on your ambition. Not on your studies, not on your relationship, not on your love life. Build your life on Christ, a strong house on Christ. Thirdly, he says, be strengthened. Be 
be, uh, that is be established in the truth of the gospel. Hang on to that. That's what gives you strength. And finally, he says, overflow, just like a jug overflowing with water or any other drink you like, Coke, Pepsi, overflow with thanksgiving, overflow with thankfulness. You see, this is the, the king, the Lord who saved you, overflow with thankfulness because of him. And so we see this in verse 7. Continue to live in him, that is, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So you see what Paul is telling them. Don't be deceived. Don't think that you'll get full life anywhere else other than Jesus. He's the source of life. He's where you go, and he's where you stay. You stay with Christ. You stay in Christ. Now, he goes on to say a bit more about this. He says, continue with Christ, walk in Christ. But then he also says, stay with Christ. Don't go anywhere else. Don't go off track. Don't be fooled. You see, these, the, this church in Colossae, they were being fooled. They were being deceived into thinking that they would get fuller life if they started practicing some of the Jewish practices, observing the Sabbath, the special festivals, eating special food and only eating those food, they were being influenced into thinking, if I live this way according to human tradition, then I'll experience more of God. I'll experience a fuller life. But Paul says, don't listen to them. Don't be carried away by them. Now, the word carried away here is a, a military word. It's, it's what happens when an army goes and kills off a village and plunders them. So, so the idea is don't be plundered by these false teachers and so we see this in verse 8 have a look with me see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy you see there were, the church was hearing these dodgy teachings these uh, sort of bogus spirituality you know they appear to be wise people they appear to be saying all good stuff but yet they're all bogus and then verse 8 continuing on you see, this stuff, which depends on human tradition, because it's all man-made, what they're believing, and the basic principles of the world. Now, what's this idea, basic principles? Now, another translation here is the word um, elementary spirits. And in the ancient world, they believed that the world was controlled and influenced by these spirits that, that controlled the world, that affected the affairs of life. And so Paul's saying, don't listen to these guys, because they're getting their... The idea is all wrong. But instead, he goes on to say, don't be taken captive by them. Rather, rely on Christ. Now, I wonder, I mean, this was about 2,000 years ago. People were deceived. All the letters, you know, there was there were trouble in all the letters and all the churches Paul wrote to. But is that the case today? I mean, if we think about our church, are we so easily deceived as they were? I mean, we're more sophisticated, aren't we? We won't e so easily be fooled into thinking that there's more than Christ. Well, when you look at the Christian bookstore, Kurong, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but there's another book I'll mention. It seems like Christians are still so easily deceived into thinking that Christ is good, but you need more. You need to do more. You need to practice more. Have a look at this book. Have you seen this book? 
Joel Austin, I declare 31 promises to speak over your life. You see, the gist of this book is it is the need to think positively, to speak positively. And when you think and speak positively, then your life will result and uh, will have positive results. It will impact your life positively. And so what you need to do if you want this, if you want this fuller life, what you need to do is you need to start declaring things over your life. And so he's got 31 of them. I'll, I'll read out some of them. I declare each day God's dream for my life is coming to pass. Another one, I declare unexpected blessings are coming my way. Just think about that and just think about the words he uses. Sounds right. I declare that God will accelerate his plan for my life as I put my trust in him. God's going to do more things if I put my trust in him. And I declare that I'm ready for a year of blessing and a year of thriving. Sounds very Christian, doesn't it? So he's saying, what Jesus has done for you, your faith in Jesus, your life in Jesus now, that is good. But you want more, you need to start declaring these things over your life. You need to start declaring these things, these blessings over your life. But if you think about it, the Bible never teaches us to declare things that we're not meant to declare over our own life. We're not actually meant to declare anything. We're meant to just live in faith. Just like this passage here, we're meant to walk in Christ, continue in him, rooted in him, strengthened in him, building on him. Not declaring things that we're not meant to declare. So you can see Christians, even today, can be deceived. Bogus spirituality. There's another situation. Uh, Several decades ago, I think, I looked at the church history book, that 125 year that this church produced. Situations closer to home, even in the Presbyterian church. Now, there, there were these secretive groups who claimed to be able to you know, show you what Christian living looks like, what it's meant to look like. They claimed to, to maintain a spirituality that is above the others. And Christians were led astray. Christians believed that and got sucked into this secretive group. It has happened. So Paul is here saying, you want to live the full Christian life? You want to live life to the full? Don't go seeking life anywhere else other than Jesus. It's quite simple, isn't it? You start with him, you stay with him. Start with him, stay with him. So that's the first big point. Now we want to consider why is it that Christians do have and can experience this full life, life to the full? What is it that makes a Christian so unique? Well, look at what Paul goes on to say here. He says three things. Three very important things. Three things that have taken place in anyone, in everyone, in fact, who turns to Christ. In anyone who is converted to Jesus, these three things take place. Firstly, all Christians have fullness in Christ. All Christians, fullness in Christ, you have it. Secondly, we've all participated in the events of Christ. And thirdly, we actually have freedom in Christ. And this all, these all happen at the moment we believe. And so firstly, fullness in Christ. What's this about? I mean, what's so good about fullness in Christ? What does that mean? 
Well, it's good because of who Jesus is. Look, who Jesus is. Look at what Paul says in verse 9. Paul says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. You see, Christ is nothing less than God Almighty. God is, Jesus is God. All of God is in Christ. And so if you want to find God, you have to go to Jesus. If you want to know God, you have to go to Jesus. All of deity lives in bodily form in Jesus. But more, more wonderful than that, to think of what God has done. Have a look with me, what follows. I mean, in God's marvelous wisdom, he's actually decided that those who belong to Christ, those who believe in Christ, can actually experience this fullness of Christ. They are part of him. Christ, who is the fullness of God, we can be a part of that. I mean, we share in this fullness too. We're granted this fullness of life. We actually get to experience the fullness of God's presence the moment you believe. We get to experience the fullness of God's love because we're connected to Christ. We get to experience the fullness of God's power. We actually have it all. Paul's saying, you have it good, you have it wonderful, you have it all. Verse 10, and you have been given fullness in Christ. And Christ here is the head of every power and authority. So that's the first thing. Secondly, Christians can have fullness of life because we have actually all participated in the cosmic events of Jesus. That is his death, his burial, and his resurrection. All Christians are actually uh, participate in those things when we are united with Christ by faith. Now, this, this sounds like a strange idea. How is it that we participate in something that Jesus did alone? It was 2,000 years ago. He died. He was buried, and he came back to life. How do we actually participate in that? It's a strange concept. But you see, when we believe in Jesus, what has happened is that we get united to Jesus. We get bonded to Jesus because of faith through the Holy Spirit, and we actually become sort of uh, participate in what has happened in, with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so in this passage, this is a difficult passage now, this um, verses 11 and 12. It goes on to talk about circumcision. Now, guys often get quite uncomfortable when we talk about circumcision, but it's not telling us to be circumcised, so that's a good thing. That, that should, you know, rest your mind a bit. But he goes on to talk about circumcision, and then he goes on to talk about baptism. What's he on about? What's he on about? Well, you see, he's not actually talking about the physical circumcision and the physical baptism. He's actually talking about the spiritual reality that those things point to. Circumcision actually points to some spiritual reality. And baptism actually points to some spiritual reality as well. And so what does circumcision, what is he on about there? Well, I'll, I'll let you know what I think and what I've came, came, come to think is right, but scholars disagree, disagree on this point. So, so there are many views out there, but this is what I think. Paul uses this idea of circumcision here. He's not talking about the physical circumcision, as we'll see, but he's using it as an image, a metaphor, to refer to not the physical stripping away of flesh. He's actually refer, referring to something that has happened in Christ. It has happened in Jesus. So the circumcision actually refers to something that Jesus did, that happened to Jesus. And we're, we're, I'll show you this verse. This is in the, um, 
This is the uh, a different translation. This is the ESV translation. ESV tends to be a bit more literal. NIV makes some trans um, some judgment on this translation, but I think this is a more closer uh, translation. So I want to explain this to you. So Paul goes on to say, it's complicated, but he goes on to say, in him also you were circumcised. So he's saying, you guys were all circumcised. Those of you who are believers, you are circumcised. And what type of circumcision? Well, it's not a circumcision made. Uh, it's a, with a circumcision made without hands. That is, he's saying, it's not a physical thing. It's not on about the physical thing. But what does this mean? Well, he goes on to say then that this circumcision is the putting off of the body of flesh. Now, scholars here disagree on what this means. But I think what this means is it's actually talking about the death of someone, the putting off the, of the body of flesh. We see this earlier in Colossians chapter 1, and it's actually the circumcision of Christ. So what's, what's that? When is it that Jesus put off the body of flesh? I think this talk is talking about his death on the cross, his crucifixion. And so what we're seeing here is the circumcision is used as a metaphor to talk about the death of Jesus, and we actually, by faith, become participants in that. We die with Christ as he died, and what he get, we get. And that's why he goes on to say the baptism, talk about the baptism. So if you look at the baptism, that's used metaphorically as well, not talking about the physical baptism. He's talking about the spiritual reality. You see, when you were baptized, you were buried with Christ as you go underwater. And as you come up, you, you have new life, resurrection life. And so what Paul is saying here is that we actually, all of us, those of us who believe, we participate in these cosmic events of Jesus when we believe. And that's why you have full life. When Jesus died, you died too. When he was buried, you were, you were buried as well. And when he came back to life, you're given life as well. We become partakers in that. So that's what Paul's getting at here. So that's verse 12. We'll have a look at that. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead? Okay, that was a bit hard going, those two verses. Now, I'm sure you might have questions, but please speak to me afterwards about that. So why is it that Christians can have the full life? Thinking about what we've just heard. Well, Christians can have the full life because when we believe, we become united with Christ, bonded with him. We are found in him. So what Jesus experienced, we become sort of partakers in that. So what Jesus gets, resurrection life, we get as well. Okay, now in these final verses, a few more verses. Now, in case we don't understand what Paul was on about, in case we don't understand how majestic and cosmic the conversion of a person is, Paul makes it clear now. He says, you guys, you were dead, dead in your sins, dead in your transgressions. And you see, you had a document, a document that was like a debt. This is your debt, outlining the things you've done and what you owe God. That is your life. So this was sort of the judgment on you. So when you were five, remember that time when you pulled your sister's hair? That's down there. When you were 12, remember the time you punched your brother? That's there. Remember when you were 15, when you cheated in your exam? That's there. When you were 20, when you lusted after someone? It's all there. What did God do? Well, we see here God has forgiven them. Forgiven them, but not only that, he actually sort of rips it off. He actually nails it to the cross. 
So we see this in verses 13 and 14. So 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of all our sins, having cancelled. This is the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. You see, God has forgiven us and taken away that document that says we're guilty. And not only that, he's actually defeated the enemies as well to give us freedom. Verse 15, having disarmed the power and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So we've done a lot in this, in this passage. I want you to think, why is it that normal people like us, humble Christians like us, can actually have such full life? Well, it's because we're connected to Jesus. We're united to him. You see, the conversion of anyone is actually a cosmic experience because we get united to the cosmic event of all time. So I want us now to think about what difference does knowing all this? I mean, it's very deep and theological, but what difference does all that make to me today? What difference does it make when I go back to school tomorrow, when I go to work tomorrow, when I go home tomorrow, uh, tonight? What difference does all this make? Well, I want to say three things, three things that this should make. Firstly, I want us all, I want you to recognize the grandness of each conversion, the grandness of anyone coming to faith. I mean, when someone believes, we, 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 we thank God, we praise God, that person became a Christian. It feels quite normal. But you see, that is an amazing thing for anyone to become a Christian. But we see in this passage, anyone coming to faith in Christ, that is a cosmic thing. You know, in life, we have many experiences and we find them major things. When I was born, if you remember, when I had my first crush, when I went on my first date, when I got my license, when I got married. They are major things in life. And our life sort of revolves around them. But you see, they pale compared to the conversion experience. Because when anyone becomes a Christian, they get united with Christ and become part of something that is cosmic, grand, the biggest thing that can enter in can happen in anyone's life. The second thing I want you to remember is this. I want us all to remember that we actually have full life now. Life to the full now because of what Jesus has done and because we are actually now in him, united to him. Now, if you think about full life, living life to the full, if you think about our nation, Australia, who would you say lives the full life? I suspect some of us might think about the richest person. Now, the richest person in Australia, not actually a man, it's a, a woman. Anyone know her? You know how much money she has? $18 billion. $18 billion. That's 18 with nine zeros. Nine zeros. $18 billion. I mean, if anyone lives a full life, it's her, isn't it? Or it's those related to her. If you had that much money, you can buy a $30,000 car each day of your life. Okay, Just say you live to 70. You buy a $30,000 car each day of your life. It will take you 23 and a half years to use up all that money. That is ridiculous. And so if you want a full life, 
you know, we probably think it would be good to be related to her. Don't you think? Perhaps to be her son or to be her heir. That's living the full life. I mean, imagine all the caviar I can get or the abalone or the sea urchin. Some people eat that. But I want you to see something today. Those things, they're fleeting compared to the conversion experience of anyone. They get connected with Christ, the source of life. They live on forever. They have resurrection life. They become part of Christ. These things are fleeting. They will disappear. Finally, I want us to think about this. How many of us, I asked at the beginning, how many of us will make it to the end? How many of us will make it to the end? I want you to think about how tragic it will be. In fact, how sad it will be if there is one less person at the end than what there is here today. Even just one person. I mean, stats say 50%. 70% won't be there. But I think even one less soul there at the end in heaven with us, that is tragic, that is sad. And so how do we make sure we make it to the end? Well, Paul tells us, Live life to the full. Walk in Christ. Stay with Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for Jesus, that he does give us life to the full, that when we first believed, we were united with him in his death, his burial and resurrection. And now we have the hope of resurrection life. Help us to walk in Christ staying with him, never being deceived by the philosophies of this world. Help us to make it to the end. And we trust that you will because your promise is so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.